You're listening to Sunday on the Commons, a podcast featuring sermons from the United Congregational Church in Little Compton, Rhode Island. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. Let's listen as we explore the cost of following Jesus and what it means for how we prioritize our lives. Also, this Sunday, September 15th, is Fall Kickoff Sunday here at UCC Little Compton. You're invited to come explore our programs for the year, including Confirmation, a new adult learning class, Christianity 101, and our summer mission trip. Learn more at our website www.ucclittlecompton.org The first reading is from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here ends the first reading. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with twenty. If he cannot, then 
While the other is still far away, he sends a delegation, and he asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all that you have. Here ends the reading. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your eyes. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes when we tell people about our faith, we are tempted to simplify it, to downplay it. Well, it's really just about love, we might say. And that word just is a little dismissal, as if the love that the Christian faith commands were sort of ordinary, unchallenging, unthreatening. We want to make it palatable. But every time I am tempted to make our faith small and safe and comfortable, which I often am, I remember passages like this, when Jesus lays it out for us. If you are going to follow me, he says, you need to prepare yourself to be all in. You have to get your priorities in order. Now, a quick note about the translation. There's something that gets lost that's pretty important. It's a nuance of the Greek word for hate. For us, the word hate is a word that implies active dislike, or in more extreme cases, maliciousness or ill intent towards someone. When someone says they hate the Yankees, they mean they'd rather have their toenails extracted than see them win, right? This is not what Jesus means when he says that we must hate our families and our very lives. Rather, in the Greek, the word is actually about priorities. It's, it's about comparing the relative importance of two things. A better translation of the Greek would actually be to love less. And this is what I think Jesus actually means. That you have to love everything and everyone less than you love God. So we can breathe a sigh of relief that Jesus isn't commanding us to hate our parents or our kids or our siblings. That wouldn't be very Jesus-y, would it? But his message is still deeply challenging. If you want to be my disciple, he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be a Christian, you have to love God more than your family, more than even life itself. Which means when push comes to shove and discipleship gets really hard, which sometimes it does, will you be ready and willing to give up your family and even your life? Now, for Jesus' original followers, this was not a metaphorical question. Family units, and often family businesses, such as the fishing business, from which many of his followers were called, were the foundational units of ancient society. Children did not grow up and move far away, as they most frequently do now. They grew up to carry on the family trade, and that meant continuing to live in the same village with their extended family. They worked together. They helped raise one another's children. They cared for another, one another when they were sick or in need. And that physical and social closeness was the embodiment of love for your family in ancient times. But there were rare exceptions to that norm. For example, in the Israel of Jesus' day, if a child excelled at education and felt a religious calling, they might leave their family to become a disciple, which, remember, literally means student. And they would become a disciple of a great, famous rabbi. Did this mean they didn't love their families? No but it did mean that they felt called to something other than family life, something that you could say they had to 
prioritize or love more. One of the things that makes Jesus such a radical figure in his day is that he takes this idea of the religious calling and makes it the norm. Jesus' disciples were not academic superstars. They were ordinary fishermen and tradespeople. Some were even societal lowlifes and outcasts, such as tax collectors. And in this passage today, when asked how others can follow him, Jesus is essentially saying, everyone is welcome. You're all welcome to come and be my disciple. It's not just a job for the elites, but if you're going to do it, you have to be prepared. You can't do it halfway. You have to be ready for the cost of discipleship, ready to walk away from the family-based system of society you're used to, leave behind those strong bonds of love and support to give up the financial and social safety net and even be willing to put your lives in danger in order to follow. It's a big ask. So what does this mean for us in our day? What does it look like to love God more than anyone, more than anything in our time? This weekend, as many of you know, was our confirmation retreat, and I had the pleasure of getting to know 10 wonderful young people who are going to be in our confirmation class this year. I seem a little tired, that's why. Um, We were having a discussion about what faith means, and they were astute enough to notice that the examples of faith listed in the book that we were reading were all active. In each instance, the action began with God calling someone to do something. And then the person had to make a choice. God said to Noah, build a giant boat. Never mind if everyone mocks you, build it. God said to Abraham and Sarah, pack up your things, leave everything familiar that you know, and move to a new land that I'll show you. Don't worry about where it is, just follow me. God said to Moses, go and stand up to Pharaoh, the strongest power in that time, the king of Egypt, and liberate your people who are in slavery. Don't worry about how you're going to do it, I'll be with you. God said to Paul, change your ways. Stop persecuting my people. Go and preach and teach and share your faith with others. Each person had to make an active choice to stay with what was comfortable and convenient for them and their families or to respond in faith, to dare to follow the way God was showing them, even when it was unclear or uncomfortable or even dangerous and terrifying. Notice that faith is not what specific set of beliefs you hold. It's not an intellectual commitment. It was a willingness to respond actively with their life to God's call, no matter the risk, no matter the cost. So too, when Jesus says that we must love God most, more even than our parents or our siblings or our children or our spouses, We must love God even in our own lives. This is not an abstract or passive posture of love. It is active. Each day as we are living our lives, Jesus calls us to follow. We may not get an in-person invitation the way that the first disciples did. We may not get a vision in the sky the way that Paul did. But Jesus' voice is here, calling us, challenging us, reminding us to follow. And this is not easy. Yesterday, on the retreat, as the, as the, at first the confirmands couldn't think of any times that God had called them to anything like this. But as we looked more closely at the words, go, speak up, move, help people, help people, change your ways, 
they began to identify ways in which they had felt called to those things. To go and help an older neighbor with a walker who was struggling to bring the garbage bin up from the street even though you were kind of on your way to do something. To stand up and defend a classmate against bullying, even if it might be really hard and you might get bullied yourself. To offer food to someone living on the streets, even though that might be a little scary. These are the kind of daily invitations that Jesus offers us, a series of opportunity to choose to follow. And not just when we are young, but every day of our lives, we are called to these active choices of faith. Do we go to bat for those in our workplace who are being taken advantage of or treated unfairly, even if it may risk our own position? Do we stand up to toxic cultures of sexism or racism or anti-Semitism, calling out inappropriate or unkind comments or behavior, even when it may make us a target? Do we give away our money and our resources and our time generously to those in need, or do we save and spend it all on ourselves, on our own families? These are the kinds of crucial habits of the heart that we are called to tend each day, listening to that still, small voice in our hearts that calls us to live not for ourselves, but for the love of God and the love of our neighbor. Now we practice following Jesus in small ways, standing up against small injustices, speaking out against little unkindnesses or injuries. We risk looking foolish in small ways and doing countercultural things, doing what is right, opening our hearts to see with compassion instead of judgment. And with each small act of faith, we train ourselves to mind the cost a little less. The bit of time it takes, the surge of courage it takes, the embarrassment or uneasiness we may feel. But these daily habits of faith are important, not just for their own sake, but as practice, so that when we come up for the greatest challenges, the moments when the cost is much dearer, we are able to still follow. I think a friend of mine who moved overseas with her two young children is a great example. She picked them up and moved them across the ocean to a third world country to lead a nonprofit committed to combating human trafficking. She left her extended family behind. She sacrificed the st stability, safety, and comfort of her home and a really good paying job here in the US in order to work for the freedom and the safety and the dignity of others. It's not that she hated her family, she loved them dearly, but she prioritized this call to help others ahead of making her life easy and comfortable. I think of a pastor I know who went to serve as a chaplain in the military, offering spiritual support to men and women serving overseas who had seen unspeakable violence. He often had to leave his family sometimes to be in very dangerous places in order to help these men and women. But he felt that call and he went and he served. And then I think, of course, of the great giants of our faith, Martin Luther King Jr., following the call to speak out against inequality in our own country, even though his family was in danger and he knew the ever-present threat to his own life. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German pastor who dared to speak out against the Nazi regime as Hitler rose to power, even though this endangered his life and the lives of all the people he loved. Both of these men were willing, in the end, to lay down their lives in order to follow the call to discipleship. 
Our faith is about love, absolutely. But it's not just about love. And we should resist trying to make it sound easy and convenient. It isn't. Our faith is the extraordinary and life-altering love that our God shows us again and again, the kind of love that can bind up our broken hearts and our broken lives and our broken world, the kind of love that casts out our fear and offers real healing, real peace, real grace. But it's also the kind of love that requires risk and courage and sacrifice, that asks us to put it all on the line in order to get up, caught up in the healing and redeeming work of God. I believe that ultimately saying yes to God, following the call to love fully and sacrificially is the only kind of life worth living, the only way to taste real joy, to know real community, to know real meaning, to experience the fullness of God's grace. I think that ultimately it's worth any cost. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you could visit our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. And if you'd like to show some appreciation for what you've heard today, we invite you to please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support our ministry by clicking the donate link in the show notes. The tradition in our church is to end every service with this simple prayer. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace.